0: Gyoji, Continuous Practice by Dogen Zenji. This was written about 800 years ago. And the oldest known printed book is a copy of the Diamond Sutra from about 860 of the Common Era, 600 years before the Gutenberg Press. So we're talking about really ancient, by human standards, teachings that are as true now as then. Dogen Zenji lived for about fifty years and it's said that at his mother's funeral, who died, she died when he was seven, he was watching the incense from the funeral and realized, had a direct experience of the flow, the endless flow, the no-beginning, no-end flow of all things. And from that first experience, he touched something genuine. And his faith was based on this. He became a monk at an early age probably perforce, but who knows. Practice with the Tendai School of Buddhism on Mount Hiei, which is still active and viable these days outside of Kyoto. The basic, ten, the basic teaching of the Tendai School, which is a Japanese version of, the, of another school similar in China, was that that of the Tattatagarbha, The the Dharma body, that we all have a fundamental truth, a true nature. We all have a fundamental essence. That's quite the right word. And we are whole and complete, fundamentally okay. But Dogen, who had lost his mother at age seven, who was probably sent away to this monastery when he was still a young boy, who was probably cold and suffering in the unheated winter months in this monastery, and it's still fairly brutal, I hear, and who saw other monks who were not living particularly enlightened-looking lives, Started wondering if that's true, that we're all endowed with this fundamental, whole, complete nature. Why am I suffering so much? Why are these other people living such disrespectful lives? Why are they looking for power and prestige and advantage? This enlightenment, this essence of enlightenment is true. Why do I still hurt? Why do I have to practice? Why do I not feel free? This fundamental question of, you know, these, these great teachings say whole, and complete, lacking nothing. Why do I still hurt? Why don't I realize that that's true? And that question began the continuous practice of Dogen Zinji's life. Now, Dogen Zinji, or Joshu, Chow Chu, when a monk came to him one time and said, you know, is there this thing such as continuous fundamental truth that every all beings are whole and complete, lacking nothing, Joshu said, no, Mu. And so that question and that answer about fundamental truth is one that we all have to understand and know for ourselves, Whether we're working on the koan Mu directly or whether we're working on any of its iterations, or whether we're working on our life. So, Dogen Zenji, as a young monk on Mount Ye, he practiced, he became dissatisfied with the Tendai's teachings, and he went and practiced with the Rinzai Zen School, a teacher named Mio Zen. And he and Mio Zen went and did a pilgrimage to China back in the 1200s he met with master ru jing and he had a deep another deep experience with master hu ru jing body and mind dropping off what is it before our body and mind what is it that the body and mind are supernumerary figures of in a way. He came back from China. He taught at kinenji and then at Kanondori. Horingi. I think it came. And then eventually, not too many years before he died, he went to Western Japan and practiced and started and founded the Temple Eheiji, which is still one of the founding temples of the Soto School in Japan. Dogen's personal life exhibited this continuous practice, the practice of questioning, the practice of investigation, the practice of practicing, the practice of realization, the practice of teaching. The common denominator, of course, is Dogen Zinji, that essential movement. So Dogen wrote the Goji, Kyoji, continuous practice. So here's a, the way it's way Kaz translates it, as we've been chanting. But let's look at it a different way. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there was always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. This being so, continuous practice is undivided, not forced by you or others. The power of this continuous practice confirms you as well as others. It means your practice affects the entire earth and the entire sky in the ten directions. Although not noticed by others or by yourself, it is so. One of my friends just published a book where he says essentially that Dogen was a wild how do you put it? That he was like the Pharaoh Sanders of Dharma, the John Coltrane of Dharma, that he took Dharma and he riffed with it, upside down and backward, or maybe in an earlier generation like Bach, upside down, backward, inverted. And he would take Dharma and he would play with it in all these different forms, all of it making one seamless composition. And yet, he had different cuts. So let's look at this particular thing. On the great road of your life, there is always the practice of your presence. It's continuous. From the time of your birth to your death, there's not a moment's gap. Your life is a continuity, undivided, not forced into being by you or anybody else. This continuous life of yours affirms you affirms all that is experienced by you. This continuous life is your seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. That means your life, because you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think, affects the entire Earth, the entire sky and the ten directions. And even though you may not notice it, it's so. It's pretty straightforward. On the great road of your life, there's always your life. Duh. On the great road of your living and eating and, you know, making messes and cleaning them up, and there's always you. Always this energy flowing through you. No big deal. Everybody knows that. The time of your birth, the time of your death. One seamless life. Not a moment's gap. So we were looking at Dogen Zenji. It's very important that we, we not think about him as some, I mean, some, he's a genius, obviously. Like John Coltrane is a genius. But not think of him as some superhuman. Person. He's somebody who knows this territory so well that he can play with it different, lots of different ways. And so for those of us who have simpler minds, we have to dumb it down some, simplify it. Make it ordinary. This continuous life affirms you. Your life is continuous. The time you were born to now, until you die, perhaps. We'll look at that later, beyond that. It's continuous. It forms the circle of the way. The circle is continuous. It just keeps on going, continuously unfolding. Your life is just the circle of the way. The circle of the way is a fancy say way of saying, the presence of your life is the presence of your life, and it keeps on unfolding and keeps on rolling. And we have not yet seen an end to it. None of us ever see an end to our life. might reflect on that every time we go to sleep even if we have deep dreamless sleep we always wake up and where's all that time between falling asleep and deep dreamless sleep and waking up it's seamless some of you may have had um, different kind of surgical procedures and been put under I had a colonoscopy and I remember watching my mind and it was alert it was alert it was alert then purportedly there was a period it was gone, but instantly it was alert, alert, alert. And, you know, it was a little disoriented after it, but it was a continuous stream of alertness. And from the outside, there was this big blank in there, but from the inside, it was a continuous stream of alertness. We always wake up every time. That's our experience. We always wake up. And if we don't, Well, we always wake up, but sometimes we're awake during sleep, and sometimes we're awake during naps, and sometimes we're awake, but we're always awake. It's continuous, without a moment's gap. And even from the outside, there are these gaps and holes. From the inside, from direct experience, it's a continuous flow, a continuous awareness. Check it out. We get confused It's part of our continuous awareness. We get angry, part of our continuous awareness. We become discombobulated, part of our continuous awareness. You know, we get lost in the fuffle of life, part of our continuous awareness. That's all he's talking about. And your life, because we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, mountains and skies and rivers and each other, and the only one common denominator between mountains, skies, rivers, and each other is your life. Your life forms a circle of the way. And of course, your life antidates your name, Antedates this adult form that you happen to be taking right this moment. But even if you're a 12 year old kid, it's still your life. Your life is connect- connected to all your ancestors. That's the next phase here. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there's always unsurpassable practice. The great road of Buddha ancestors. Accordingly, by this continuous practice of all the Buddha and ancestors, Your practice is actualized and your great road opens up. Great road, you know, he's just riffing. He can see his life as a great road, his 50 years. Our life is a great road. Nobody else gets to walk it. It's wide and vast, we can't stray away from the road. It's got all this potential, all these interesting things that we can see. And it doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how dumb we are. It doesn't matter how smart we are. This continuous life affirms you. This entire earth, the entire sky, your life is connected to all of our, our life is connected to all of our ancestors. Because of their life, their lives, we live this life. I always, I always think that, you know, 300 or maybe 3 million years of our ancestors all had sex at exactly the right time in order to leave here. It's much more graphic that way. Because if even one of those couples, even one in 3 million years, just say, did not meet at exactly the right time, we wouldn't be here. We are the result of three million years of couples coming together at exactly the right time, exactly for us, with a result of 300 million, as an arbitrary number, years of effort. Because of their lives, you live. We live. Because of their lives, we have opportunities. Because of their lives, our lives get to walk the great road of our life. We give life to all those ancestors, too. So suppose you inherited a hospital. And you worked on it your whole life. You thought this was a, you felt in your bones, this was an important project. You knew by watching the results that it, many people were benefited. Your ancestors who started the hospital all said, this is really important to do, and you did it, and you found out it for yourself. And you handed it over to your descendants. And it is by their lives that the great road opens up, by their lives that the great medicine, facility, medical facility, continues. Accordingly, by the continuous practice of all the Buddhas and ancestors, your practice is actualized, and your great road opens up. Very straightforward. Very straightforward. One of the things that we tend to do in this tradition is we, try, is we formalize that a little bit and we say, well, let's, let's give some appreciation to all these ancestors who worked so hard setting up the particular hospital that they set up, who, who wrote, wrote things imperfectly down, who did their very best, their imperfect best, and who endeavored for generations after generations. Let's honor them. Let's just acknowledge that that I'm not this independent lump that is somehow separate from past and future, this independent lump that's somehow separate from everything. Let's just honor everybody who did it. And let's put their names in the chants that we do. Let's put their kind of symbols of them in the founders room. Honoring that part of ourselves. What do we actually deserve? What do we actually, get for ourselves everything's been given to us this body this mind inherited whatever efforts people had they're good the bad the indifferent and skillful skillful more skillful less skillful it's all part of our inheritance Through our lives, the hospital is sustained. Through our lives, the great road of healing opens up. Through our lives, we embody the ancestors' vows, their wishes. By just being ourselves, we are the vows of the ages. We are the realization of those vows. If you want to know what happens after you die, look right now. This is after everything else in your life has already died. All those past things, they're dead, and here you are. You are the manifestation. This is the afterlife. This is always the afterlife. This is the before life. This is always the before life. We are the culmination of hundreds, millions of years. Which little bits are us? Because we think of ourselves as little bits, little bundles of righteousness and little bundles of selfishness and little bundles of smallness and little specialness in our own little egoic state. And we don't recognize the grandeur and the awe of the inclusive mind of which this particular manifestation is a blink of. Each of us have things to do, of course. Each of us has their own life trajectory. But that trajectory is grounded upon, based on, founded upon the continuous practice, the continuous lives of all the Buddhas and ancestors, however you think of their names. What if, shifting a little bit here, what if during our life, during our childhood, during some experience or other, we had a taste, a touch, a knowing, of the, of, the, of the love. Actually, I haven't looked at it this way. Just imagine three millions of years of couples coming together in love to produce you. Just imagine millions of years of loving kindness because we have people that everyone had to get fed and everyone had to get raised and every single baby had to be protected and cared for just imagine that we are the recipients of again arbitrary number 300 million years of loving kindness but suppose we actually had an experience in our life where we touched the essence of that loving kindness that it wasn't just looked at as a little thin strand through the great warp and weft of the fabric of the universe, but rather it was the the essential material out of which that fabric arose, and that we actually at some time, in our childhood, our adulthood, touched that boundless gift of loving-kindness all-encompassing warmth. That's the foundation of faith. That's the foundation of practice. It's not founded on this inadequate word called empty. It's not founded on these inadequate things. What if we had actually had a little glimpse, a drop, half a gallon of experience of that essence of life? That would shape our life. One of the things that often people who are talking about near-death experiences have is they say that they have a near-death experience, they go into white light, and they they touch something, and they always feel like, I want to go back to that. They touch something that was loving and kind, they want to go back to it, I felt more loved and more accepted and more whole. That, to me, is what spiritual practice is about. And it's not about, I want to go somewhere else. I want to go somewhere else. I want to go back to become a 12-year-old kid. I want to go back to... But I want to find, because that which is essential is always essential, is always present. And that foundation of being, out of which each moment we all arise, is still there. We're still arising. It's still giving us our life. It's still nothing but loving-kindness. But to recognize that is part of the trajectory of spiritual practice. What if we actually had a taste of the oneness of things sometime in our life, a glimpse, a few seconds, a timeless moment, and we actually saw everything is really connected. I mean, rationally, it's very easy for us to figure that out. We just take food and we just look back where to, come from, where to 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 come from. It came from the whole earth, came from the earth and the sun, came from the whole solar system, and you know, you get the idea. But what if we actually had a, a, a vivid feeling sense? of the oneness of all things, suddenly, if we awaken to that, if we recognize that, suddenly all the disparate things that are happening, they're all kind of part of one seamless whole. From a you know, personal perspective. we have likes and dislikes and separation, but from the, the truth, it's all part of the seamless whole. And that's part of liberation. This is the great road of Buddha ancestors have always walked, continuous and, and sustained. Dai hung has this nice analogy. He says, it's like Spiritual practice is like walking up a mountain. We walk up a mountain. First off, we have to let go of all the extra stuff that we put on our backs. You know, all the things that we brought along for our own protection and our own security, our own safety. We have to sort of jettison and just dump, dump the things that are not helpful, that are just burdensome. And as we Go up the path higher and higher, more and more things become burdensome. So we let, let go of more and more things. Let go of the mind of grasping and attachment to more and more things. Become a little freer and easier in ourselves. And as we get up higher in the mountain, we actually can begin to see 360 degrees. And we see that what happens on the left affects what happens on the right and the butterflies in the south affect the hurricanes in the north. And we actually can see that the swirling mass, which looks so different from down below, is actually one seamless whole. And to me, that is the continuous practice, is to see the inclusive nature of mind. continuous practice that actualizes itself is no other than your continuous practice right now. The now of this practice is not originally possessed by the Self. The now of this practice does not come and go, enter and depart. The word now does not exist before continuous practice. The moment when when it is actualized is called now. This being so, your continuous practice of this day is a seed of all the Buddhas and practice of all the Buddhas, and all the Buddhas are actualized and sustained by your continuous practice. The life of your life. So when we are doing Session and we're sitting and practicing and breathing and, you know, get our pains and our discomforts and, you know, all the things that happen with human beings, to have Faith in the continuous practice that is practicing you, the continuous breath that is breathing you, the continuous experiencing that is experiencing you, to begin to relax. We'll talk about the other dimension of that in a moment. But that's the practice of faith. Practice of faith is if I am truly looking deeply feeling deeply, listening deeply, beyond, down to the root of things, I'll see this continuous life, continuous aliveness. And I can begin to practice in the trust of this moment, trust that aliveness is infusing and always has and always will infuse this moment. This being so, your continuous practice of this moment, of this day, is a seed for all the Buddhas, all the practice of the Bodhisattvas, all goodness, is actualized and sustained by your continuous practice. So let's, the Buddha is, in this particular way, I mean, there are different ways you can use, you know, words are so, it's one of the things Dogen Zenji does, is he just, he'll use a word in this way, and he'll use a word in that way, and he'll use a word in this other way, and then he kind of weaves them all together in, you know, like a a very intricate performance. Of jazz. So sometimes he uses the word Buddha as all goodness, that which is inherently good. Sometimes he uses the word Buddha in the sense of the, the ancient ancestor. Sometimes he uses the word Buddha in the sense of your own inherent wisdom, the root of all things. All Buddhas are actualized and sustained by your continuous practice, which means right now, right here. What is the continuous practice that is sustaining you? What is it right now? What is it? That which sustains you, me, all of us, right this moment, is also that which sustains sustains all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, all the directions. Then he shifts a little bit. By not sustaining your continuous practice, you would be excluding Buddhas, not nurturing Buddhas, excluding continuous practice, not being born and dying simultaneously with all Buddhas, and not studying and practicing with all Buddhas. So on one hand, continuous practice is inevitable. It's a circle of the way. It's just the way things are. But now, Continuous practices, are we endeavoring to really work with concentration? Are we working with faith? Are we working with insight? Are we engaging in the practices of ethics? Of You know, there is no shortcut to becoming a mature human being. It takes practice. So now, in order to become a mature human being, we do have, we are sustained, we have this foundation that we all, but we all have a lot of work that we've got to do. So we have to see the root. Part of waking up. We have to give life to that root through ethical living. In harmony with harmony. And then, from our particular life root, our particular karmic bundle, we've got things that we have to do to give expression to it. So practice includes all these different levels. And Sashen is about, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, this particular body is not the essence. This particular personality is not the essence. That there is something more fundamental which Dogen is talking about. That's the, that's the, the, the gravity, that's the, the, the force which, which retreats to Shishen, tries to honor and recognize. But there's also the continuous practice of, i got to grow up. There's a continuous practice of learning. There's a continuous practice of refining our potential. I like Ken Wilbur's thing of waking up and growing up. Wake up anywhere if we look carefully, deeply. But growing up takes a different kind of set of circumstances. It's not easy to wake up to the one mind. I mean, how can we wake up to the one mind with a separate mind? How can separation become unseparation? But it's also not easy to become a professional, a craftsperson, a really mature human being. That too takes continuous practice. That too takes continuous investigation. That too takes continuous. So we have these two levels of continuous practice both of which have to complement one another. In a way, everything happens by itself, and simultaneously nothing happens by itself. It's up to us to bring things to life. The, 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 the quartet that Ken Wilber likes, waking up, growing up, cleaning up, doing the work on what's left all the dregs of our reactivity and anger and frustration, and then showing up. So with that foundation, here's a quote from one of my heroines, Byron Katie. If you find internal work exciting, you'll look forward to the worst that can happen, because you won't find a problem that can't be solved from the inside. It's a perfect setup for the end of suffering. You begin to realize that there are no mistakes, and that whatever you get is what you need. This is paradise found. Everything you need, and even more than you need, is always supplied to you in abundance. So we have resting on the foundation of loving kindness, of support, of the gift of life. And then there are all the particular challenges. If we look at them only from the, the, the top, we're just in a doggy dog world that is constantly at odds with itself. And it's, it, To me, it's very distressing to see people just trying to solve problems at that level, although of course it's connected to the root. But from a practice perspective, we want to go from this root, the root of wisdom, of inclusivity, of creativity, of, of presence. And from that root, we then grow and meet our life. And we see it not as doggy dog, but it's all we're all one pack of dogs, you know? Sometimes growling and snarling at each other, and sometimes cuddling and huddling with each other. You know. I'm editing. Um, just. To jump to one more thing, let's let's talk a little about Parshva. In the the, uh, fascicle, in Gyoji, Zinji starts off by laying out the things that we've been talking about here. And then he gives the example of Mahakashapa who, for his whole life, had continuous practice. That's a whole interesting discussion right there. But the one I like the best is Parshva. Parshva was 80 years old when he began practicing. And Dogen says, It's extremely foolish of people nowadays to put aside the endeavor of the way when they become 50 or 60 or even 70 or 80 years old. If we're concerned with how many months or years we've lived, it's merely a limited human view. It has nothing to do with the study of the way. Do not consider whether you are in your prime or old and frail, Single-mindedly aspire to study and master the way, standing shoulder to shoulder with the ancestors. Do not look back or cling to a heap of dust in a graveyard. do not have a single-minded aspiration and are not awakened, <clears throat> who would pity you? Practice to see directly, just as you would add eyeballs to a skeleton lying in the wilderness. Not A cool image. Practice to see directly, just as you would add eyeballs to a skeleton lying in the wilderness. What is fundamental is not dependent upon anything. And so everyone has the ability to see, hear, smell, taste, know it. Rest in it experience it. It's not dependent, actually, on being dead or alive. The interesting thing to verify, it's not dependent. And yet, each circumstance that we are in, young, old, educated, uneducated, whether we are professionals or not professionals, whether we are decrepit or not decrepit, has its own way, its own challenges its own call to express that fundamental truth. And each way, each call, each expression is one with the root. It is the expression of the root. And so in from this vantage point, there is no high or low. There is no better or worse. There's only our endeavor, our effort to express the root of the way. And that root, of course, the inclusive nature of mind, includes everything, but it also includes precepts, it includes ethical living, it includes the common agreements that we have as a society, how to get along. So, while it is true that everything is nothing but an expression of the way, there are skillful and unskillful ways of doing it. And so our aspirate my aspiration, my encouragement for you, is see the root, express that root through your particular wisdom, through your particular uh, emotional capacity, and do so in a way that is ethical. And do so in a way that embodies kindness. Do so in a way that in this world inspires and encourages people to have faith and look at the root. And each person knows how to best do that for themselves. So, sometimes I think Dogen Zinji, he probably got started talking about something like this and just couldn't stop, you know, he just kept thinking, oh, oh, how about this, oh, how about that, let's look at this, let's, so in breaking with that ancestor, I'm going to end now.